Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Purple Insider Podcast. I am Paul Hodawanik. I'm taking the reins from Matt today to do a little breakdown of the wide receiver class. The Vikings at number 12 could very easily pick off a receiver, especially if the draft board falls and some defensive players they're targeting uh, aren't there. And so to break down exactly what the Vikings could do at 12 with the wide receiver position, we are welcoming on reporters from all of the top five wide receivers. And the first reporter we have up is Colin Gay. Colin reports for Rivals.com on Ohio State. So Colin is going to give us a breakdown of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, two of the top wide receivers in the class, both from Ohio State. So Colin, how are we doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's uh, This will be the first... Uh which is crazy to think about, especially with what Brian Hartline has done at Ohio State. I mean, this, this, I think I read that this will be the first time that, I mean, barring anything crazy happening, that Ohio State will have first-round receivers since 2007. Uh, and, and they're going to have two of them this year. So it's kind of crazy to watch. But, yeah, um, I'm excited to chat with you, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I guess let's just jump right into it. Um, for those have, have that haven't gotten a chance to watch much of Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or read much, uh, if you could just kind of describe their games, maybe compare and contrast them a little bit. What if one was drafted by the Vikings? Who are they getting in both guys? Sure. So let's let's start with Chris Olave. So Chris Olave, if you if we go back to all the way to his recruitment, um, he wasn't really one of the guys that Ohio State had targeted. He wasn't really on their radar. Actually, the 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 story goes that Ryan Day went out to to California to go uh, watch Jack Tuttle, um, a former. Um, who ended up at Utah, ended up at Indiana um, later, but he went to watch him throw. And then he saw this, this guy, he's like, who is this kid at wide receiver? And it's, it's Chris Olave who ended up breaking, you know, setting the school record and touchdowns and, and, and like just being absolutely insane. And it's actually kind of, I was talking about this with somebody. It, it was very, very similar to what, I mean, they knew who Garrett Wilson was, but we'll talk about that later. Chris Olave is kind of that prototypical Brian Hartline receiver. He can catch. Um, he has hands like anyone's business. He can he can run routes like very very well. He he just has that ability to get open. He has he's very fast. And he was kind of at least in regards to say you know the emergence of Jackson Smith and Jigba um, or the emergence of um, Garrett Wilson. Um, these guys like. He's kind of underrated, and and he's kind of been that, and and I think it's just because of this slow developing kind of process that he's been on from being so kind of low, lowly rated in terms of recruiting sites all over, um, and then coming in and and kind of developing into this go between uh, 
from like the the Paris Campbell KJ Hill era of Ohio State to you know now, which is kind of this you know consistent continuing pipeline of top tier receivers, and he's kind of been the picture, the prototypical picture of what an Ohio State receiver can develop into just based on being in the room, having the talent, but just kind of growing and expanding that. And I mean, just to go through his stats real quick, I mean, broke broke an Ohio State school record with 35 receiving touchdowns. The Vikings would get somebody there that's like that can score and knows how to score. Uh, Fourth most, um, that number is the fourth most in Big Ten history. Third in school history and receptions. um, Fifth in school history and receiving yards. This guy just goes out there and gets the ball and 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 is a deep threat very very fast very very shifty can run routes very very well and that's just brian hartline's room that's kind of why not to get off you know onto you know recruiting but like that's why they keep bringing in top tier guy after top tier guy um and it's the same thing with garrett wilson big guy from uh or uh, big big time prospect from uh lake travis in austin kind of came in as you know, he 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 broke out right away um, as he was expected to coming in in the 2019 class. Five touchdowns his freshman year, um, but he was. I mean, everybody expected him to do that. He had, but he had that kind of breakout year in 2021, where it's like, yeah, this is the season that Ohio State expected. You know, in 2020, if if it wasn't the weird COVID year, but you know, a thousand yard receiver, uh, double digits, uh, touchdown receptions, again, very good route runner, very, very smart wide receiver, um, has great hands, very, very fast. Um, a lot of people think he's going to be the first uh, wide receiver off the board. And I, I tend to agree with them. Um, but yeah, just another example of just the talent that Ohio state can bring in and kind of develop at that level to send off and, um, into, what could be a stretch of a couple years where Ohio State, you're going to see a lot of Ohio State receivers at the top of the NFL draft. Uh, and I think the Vikings fans have fallen in love with Justin Jefferson, both on the field with his play, but also kind of his personality, his swagger, and just he seems very genuine in he, he cares about the city and just cares about the team and winning. And so from a perspective of just who they're getting as people and guys, obviously that's a big part in anyone's success. You kind of have to have the right makeup for both those guys, what's what's that kind of look like? So I think, first of all, they're extremely smart uh, receivers. They they can, I mean, and that just, again, I, I talk a lot about, it's a broken record, but a lot about Brian Hartline's room and the culture that he's kind of cultivated at Ohio State. I mean, it's just kind of um, just, they know how to break down film. They know how to break down routes. Um they can change things on the fly and they know how to talk about it, especially between him and someone like CJ Stroud or, or Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson with CJ Stroud. Um, you have someone who can kind of like, I mean, you saw it at their pro day. I mean, on that final throw, um, you know, CJ Stroud going up to Garrett Wilson and saying, okay, this is what I want you to do and see, and just showing him based like the route based on his, <laughs> like just these symbols that, or his hands and things like that. And then them, doing it straight away. Um, so they're very, very bright, can can talk about football, and they're just very genuine people. And I think my favorite example, at least for Chris Olave, and it, uh, is so he, like he was expected to, he um, did not, he, he, he did not play in the Rose Bowl for Ohio State, but he traveled with the team. Uh, he was basically a coach, and you saw him on the field 
at uh, the practice um, on the practice field before um, the game started this year, and he was running routes. He was working with C.J. Stroud. He w- he wasn't done like being an Ohio State wide receiver. He just wasn't playing to protect that draft stock. So I mean, and you saw him on the sidelines at uh, that um, Rose Bowl, kind of cheering him on, and, and 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 he was talking so highly about like the guys coming up and their development and how like he was challenging them, working with them, being that leader of that room. That's what Chris Olave kind of signified all year was kind of like I said that that kind of process between the Paris Campbell era, the KJ Hill era, and now. So like heading into the Jackson Smith and Jigba era, the Emeka Egbuka era, Marvin Harrison Jr. era, like these guys that, you know, he almost represents that continuation in the timeline. And he took that to heart, you know, being that leader, being that guy who can be on the field and um, kind of mold receivers in the way that, you know, Ohio State expects them to. And it's the same thing with Garrett Wilson. Very, very friendly guy. Both of them are very friendly guys. Um, but very, very smart, a uh, big leader. And, 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 and it's really, I mean, obviously when it comes to, you know, three receivers in a room that are like garnering for the attention, garnering for the yards. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to, I mean, it's easy to be like, okay, I want to be the guy. I want to be the, um, the person with all of, you know, the receptions, the touchdowns. I, I'm the only one you should target, <laughs> you know, you're telling CJ Stroud that, but like, there was none of that really, you know, whether it's watching on the field or just whether they talked about it, they were, they spoke so highly of the rest of the room and they're guys that, you know, they, they know they're talented. They know they're going to make an impact, but it doesn't matter when, and it doesn't matter how much they just know based on their talent and based on how they are developed at Ohio state, that they will make an impact. So there's really not any ego there from what I saw. So, I mean, both are very, very good guys. And um, the Vikings in terms of that aspect would be lucky to have them. Yeah, and I know just looking at mock drafts and kind of the way the betting marks have shaked out, Garrett Wilson could easily be a top 10 pick. He may not be there when the Vikings do pick, but Olave is someone that most likely, uh, I think any anytime I check, he's really, he is on the board. And one of the cons I want to ask you about with him is they talk a lot about maybe his lack of size and lack of after the catchability. Does that show up a lot? Should that be a concern in your mind heading into the NFL? I don't, I, I mean, I really don't think so. I, 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 I mean, let's, let's talk about size first. I mean, if, if you're talking about an outside receiver, yes, he's not, you know, the size of say Marvin Harrison Jr. Who's like six, two, six, three, and just this big burly, like linebacker that's outside at receiver. But I mean, he's a six, one, one eighty nine. Um, as they have him right now, he's probably grown from that point, but like, He's been, I think simply he's been, I think he'll tell you this. He's been doubted <laughs> like, like throughout his time at Ohio state. And I think that just comes from that stems from his time as a three-star recruit coming from, you know, that story that I told you earlier about him and Jack Tuttle. Um, I mean, he, he dry, he, he's driven off that, you know, like he's, he, that's, that's where he came from. That's where he's, he's a kind of a gradual growing process. I mean, he was never a thousand yard receiver, for Ohio State, but he was always one of the guys that can consistently find his way into the end zone, consistently score and find those breakaway opportunities. He is fast, man. I, I mean, he is fast. And, and I think that can that can be what separates him there. I don't see size as an issue. I don't see him. I think that's why he's he's falling as he is. Um, 
that after the catchability, I'm not sure what I saw from Chris Olave was a receiver that didn't have the numbers that Jackson Smith and Jigba or Garrett Wilson did because he was getting all of the attention, especially early in the year. They they were letting other receivers beat him because they knew, Big Ten corners knew what Chris Olave can do. And I and, and looking at mock drafts as I I mean whether it's with the Vikings I, I've seen him with the Packers uh, like down low in the twenties I mean they're really getting a guy at that point that I think could be a steal I really do um, I think he's very very I, I I mean he's that slow growing developing receiver that you don't see he's not like that you know three year guy that bolts and leaves because he was he was highly touted or whatever but. I mean, you're getting a guy who's proven. You're getting a guy who has a lot of history. You're getting a guy who's worked with very, very, very good quarterbacks, uh, whether it's Stroud, Justin Fields, or Dwayne Haskins. Um, so, I mean, I think whoever if whoever gets Chris Olave is going to get a receiver who's going to be ready to go. And especially, I mean, if you're talking about the Vikings, I mean, to pair him with Justin Jefferson, I mean, that's, that's a great combination, man. That's a great combination. Yeah, I think any wide receiver that comes, if there, if that was the pick in the first round, they're coming into a really great room with Thielen, with Jefferson, where they're probably not asked to do a ton right away and kind of can grow into their role, which I would assume is is only a good thing for either guy. Uh, I know I, Ohio State has had, <clears throat> obviously, maybe not a first-round wide receiver, but the Michael Thomases of the world, the Terry McLaurins of the world. I think people are starting to see that from Ohio State. Just with these two guys, and maybe if we're comparing those to Thomas and McLaurin, or to any of the other Ohio wide receivers, Ohio State wide receivers that are in the NFL, do you feel like their ceilings match those guys, those McLaurins, those Michael Thomases out there? Uh, or how would you kind of c- compare and contrast how they could fit in the NFL to those guys? So here's the thing. I mean, I think with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson specifically, this is kind of that first year where, and I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to word this because, like, I mean, Terry McLaurin. He, I mean, people around Ohio State knew how good he was. And and you see this guy who, you know, again, he was slowly developing. And 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 he had that final year where, I mean, he showed people what he could do at Ohio State, but he hadn't hit his ceiling yet. So, you know, he may have not been the highest drafted guy, but I mean, he made an impact. As as you said, Michael Thomas is the same way. Didn't make the biggest impact at Ohio State. New Orleans saw that potential wasn't the highest rated guy went on and became Michael Thomas, right? I think this is the first draft in a long time for Ohio State where NFL teams are looking at those wide receivers and are like, oh, we know what room they're coming from. We see the talent right away, and they have first-round potential. Because I think if you gave, say, Michael Thomas or Terry McLaurin another year at Ohio State or kind of like that extended look, you know, consistency, because both of those guys came from very, very full rooms, I mean – their their ceiling was a first round pick, even if they were picked, you know, not in the first round, second round, third round, whatever, right? And I think it's the same thing with yeah, KJ Hill, uh, Paris Campbell, like these guys that are like uh, coming from that kind of group. Um, but this, yeah, this is kind of the first year where you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, Brian Hartline does a great job at developing wide receivers. These two are top tier wide receivers, um, and yeah, I mean, Garrett Wilson is going to be the first. I, I would guess he's the first wide receiver taken in the draft because of that, you know, and, and I think even not to go on a side tangent or whatever, but I mean, it's the same thing with Jameson Williams, not a guy that had a lot of potential at Ohio or um, not a lot of time to show what he could do at Ohio state had a very, very good season, but didn't see, saw what was coming in, 
needed to go somewhere else and then shined at Alabama. I mean, it's the same thing. It's it really is the same thing. And and it's kind of mind blowing to think um, just how much talent Ohio State has acquired at the position. And 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 honestly, uh, Paul, I think I mean. I wouldn't be surprised if we're having this conversation again next year. You know, maybe it's not with you, but it's with somebody else talking about um, those receivers down the line. You know, like even Julian Fleming, maybe one year could do it for a former five-star receiver. Um, you you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, who could be a top five pick, I think, if he has a big year. You know, like, I mean, this is not going to stop with Ohio State, and especially with the offense and the quarterback that is throwing to them. I mean, it's not – yeah, this is not going to this is not going to end for Ohio State and I think Olave and Garrett Wilson are just that first kind of uh example of that kind of becoming the norm for Ohio State moving forward. All right, before I get you out of here, I want best and worst case scenarios for for all of them because everyone loves comps and everyone kind of wants to know how things fit. I don't know if you have guys particularly in mind or just kind of best case in their roles or best case in their production. But if I was going to, I want both ends of the spectrum for either guys, because obviously some, some players just don't hit and it could be these two, who knows? So for um, both of them, best and worst case scenario. Let's start, I guess, let's start with Chris Olave. Uh, And I think worst case scenario, you have a guy who may not be the biggest, may not be the fastest guy in the long run, but you have a guy who can, you know, if if the corners are, it's it's kind of like the opposite of what happened at Ohio State, right? Where you know, I'm going to use the Vikings as an example. If if the corners are kind of locked into Justin Jefferson or they're locked into Adam Thielen, you have a guy who can kind of come around and 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 be that third guy, um, and be that option where you know he'll find the end zone five six times a year. I I, I really think that's kind of the floor for Chris Olave. Um, ceiling. I, I mean, I really do think he can be, I mean, if he comes into a system like you were talking about where it's like he can come in and not be, have the pressure of being the guy right away, I think, and he comes in with a good quarterback. I mean, the sky's the limit for him. I really do. And I think there's the same thing with Garrett Wilson. And I think NFL scouts see that where you have a guy in Garrett Wilson who who's only known the top level of football throughout his career, whether it's coming from Austin, Texas, Lake Travis High School, um, whether it's coming from Ohio State, like just these big time offenses, all they've all he's seen is just the upper echelon of what could be and the upper echelon of the defense that he's faced, you know. So I think for Garrett Wilson, I think it's the same thing. You see worst case scenario possession receiver, um, one that's going to get a lot of PPR points, but maybe not a lot of yards. Um, But um, Again, ceiling, I mean, these guys are touchdown maniacs, man. Like, like these guys can go out there and beat corners. That's all they've known how to do. And I think even through, I mean, I think this is a good point too. Over the course of uh, maybe not exactly last year, even though Denzel Burke as a corner is very, very good and he developed very, very well over the course of last year. And you're only going to see him get better in 2022. I mean, they're facing top-tier talent at corner every single day. You see the pipeline that's come from Ohio State at corner. Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple, uh, Garyon Conley. Um, you have Jeff Okuda. Like, these guys that, like, are consistently picked in the first round or become Denzel Ward, who just got a big contract. Like, these guys that, you know, that's all they see every day in practice. And the Big Ten's no slouch either, you know? So, I think – they have their their ceiling 
very, very high for each one of those, for sure. Um, floor, consistency. I, I think that's really all I could um, say because, I mean, that's just who, what Ohio State's receiver room is. Is It's a floor of consistency. The sky's the limit. Awesome, awesome. And then quickly, before I let you go, if the, any other late-round guys that Vikings should just have on their radar at any position that Ohio State could have drafted just, you know, in the mid, mid or later rounds that, you know, just keep an eye on them? Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, based on kind of the conglomerate of mocks that have been out there, um, I think – so you're going to see seven guys go from Ohio State in, in this draft with a few more taken late as um, – UDFAs and things like that. But, um, you know, Haskell Garrett's story is great. Um, you know, guy, um, was in a unfortunate, uh, situation on campus where he was shot, uh, came back and, 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 um, you know, became a very, very kind of maybe the, not the most dominant defensive tackle that Ohio state has ever seen, but a guy who can anchor a room very, very well. Um, and his leadership qualities are like off the charts. Um, so he's, he's one to watch and and just very, very good size has mobile ability can kind of be, um, he can get to the quarterback and get those tackles for loss. Um, you have, I mean, for, for a guy who could be a free agent, because I don't think he's going to be drafted, but my God, I mean, if I was at Ohio state's pro day and master Teague looked like a Greek God, um, just like, like he was, he was the most like fit running back I've ever seen. And he didn't get a lot of playing time, but that's one of those guys who we can be, we can look back and say, like he was once in an Ohio state uniform and Ohio state didn't use him as, as much as they should have. Um, He's very, very, uh, very, very skilled, very, very strong, um, can bowl through people. Um, and so he could be a, a free agent pick for that team, but he's going to get a lot of attention. I know he was um, visiting the Bengals um, either today. I think it's today he has their pro day. So um, Jeremy Rucker, he's going to be a he's going to be a first, second or third round pick at tight end. Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, Tackle, uh, very, very good, very, very smart. Like, my goodness, smart. Like, very good. Worked well with Dewan Jones on the other side, who's coming back for this year at tackle. But, I mean, he was a high-rated guy, another example of a of a person who came in as a highly touted Ohio, um, recruit and, and kind of just developed and became strong, became lean and, and, and very, very smart in the game. So those are a few guys. I mean, there's there's so much, so many more Tyreek Smiths in there. Um yeah, I mean, there's just there's there's a lot of different guys. I mean, just coming from a program, it, it's so funny. Um, so I was talking with Zach Taylor, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals head coach, um, a couple of days ago, and, and and one of the things that he was saying is that just based on who Ohio State is and the way they develop talent and the way that um, just knowing the culture and how smart that program is. I mean, they the Bengals themselves usually take an extra look at an Ohio State guy just because of that alone. It doesn't matter if they're like, okay, you know, he's not like it. It doesn't matter the skill level at this point. Like if it's if it's a late round guy, he said he leans Ohio State because of it. So I think that and and that's something you've seen for years. I mean, starting with the Urban Meyer era, where it's just like six, seven, eight guys drafted for more taken as free agents after the draft, you know, like, so you know what you're going to get with Ohio state guys. And like I said, I think it's the same thing with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, where it's the floor is consistency. 
I mean, hell, look at Rod Smith <laughs> with the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like a guy who's like low on the depth chart, but Ohio State running back didn't really know what to do with him, didn't make a huge impact at Ohio State. But I mean, he's been in the league for four or five years. So that's kind of the floor for Ohio State players. If they can find that groove, kind of find that momentum at the NFL level, even if he's not a superstar, even if he's not like, I mean, that's what you're going to get from Ohio State because that's the players that they recruit and develop in the program. All right. Well, Colin Gay with the with Rivals. He is Colin Gay underscore Rivals on Twitter. His old Twitter got hacked or something, I think. So he's trying to build that back up from the ground. <laughs> so if you want to follow Ohio State, <clears throat> look him up, Colin Gay underscore Rivals. Colin, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and welcome back. Uh, now joining me today to talk Drake London uh, from USC is Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun is a writer for uscfootball.com. You can find Shotgun on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. Shotgun, we're doing this right in the middle of the the Heat uh, game or the Heat Hawks game. How are you feeling right in this current? <laughs> Not feeling great right now because I'm a Hawks fan and they are not did not play very well in the second quarter. But I'm hoping we have a similar outcome as last game where you know they came back in the in the fourth quarter. Well, let's take your mind off it for just a few minutes. Talking about Drake London, uh, the Vikings are a potential destination for some wide receivers. Drake London, by some, is considered wide receiver one. It's a very fluid kind of wide receiver rankings in the draft this year. But for people who haven't really watched him from Minnesota, they're Probably a lot of people haven't watched a single snap of him. So tell me a little bit about Drake London, the type of receiver he is, and maybe kind of what offense would he would fit best in. Drake London's a monster, to be honest. You know, he's a guy that's six foot four. He goes up over defenders consistently. Um, he, you know, dominated as far as the pro football focus uh, contested catches category, and he was still leading that, I believe until maybe the last week of the season, despite missing the final month and a half, basically, of the season because he broke his ankle. USC's offense was super one-dimensional. It was a Drake London air raid. It was throw the ball to Drake London. He was getting 15 targets a game. He was getting double coverage. He was getting triple coverage. It didn't matter. He was still going off for big games consistently. Um, and he's It's interesting because he's a, he's a unique receiver because of his size, because of his background as a basketball player. He came to USC as a two-sport guy. Um, and actually, I, I saw him in high school playing both sports, and I actually thought coming out of high school that he could go pro in either sport. Now, I don't know if he would have been an NBA player necessarily because he's 6'4", maybe needed a couple more inches to be a wing on it, but he's a dynamic defender on the basketball. He's tenacious, and he takes that basketball mentality, actually, the defensive mentality, to at the wide receiver position. And I actually asked him one time uh, this season, I said, hey, you get in those one-on-one matchups, and you you know that the, the safety's not playing over the top of you, and you know the quarterback's going to throw it up. You know what, What's your mentality in that one-on-one situation? He said, you know, it's basketball. Just go dunk on them. 
Um, and that's a, you know, that's kind of the way he plays. He goes up and is he's super physical as well. So yards after the catch, one of his b- biggest highlights was against UCLA last year where he catches the ball over the middle, kind of fumbles the ball, actually gets the ball, you know, kind of knocked out of his hand a little bit, regains it, but he breaks like six tackles on the way to a 65-yard touchdown. It was, you know, just spectacular. Three or four guys hitting him at the same time. He's spinning away from it. That's what you get from him. Now, the, the question marks are, is there the ability to separate? And he separates at the line of scrimmage with his physicality. He can separate with his route running, but not necessarily just the top end speed where he's going to take it off the, you know, take the top off the defense. But if you get him in a one-on-one matchup, hey, he might not get three yards behind the defender, but if you just throw the ball up there, he's going up and making the play over guys consistently. His his percentage of contested catch catches was uh, impeccable as well. So that's the type of, of guy you get. He, he can catch the short stuff as well and then turn it in. USC used him a lot in their screen game. They basically just wanted to get the ball in his hands over and over and over, and if you played off of him, they were going to run a screen, and hey, it's going to take two guys to tackle him. Or if you play up on him, he's going by somebody. He's going to be able to use his physicality at the line of scrimmage and then go up over a defender and make somebody look look silly uh, with a you got moss type of catch. Uh, well, that would that would work good in Minnesota, where they remember many many mosses of catches. Um, I think Vikings fans in general, when they talk, when they're thinking about wide receiver, they haven't really considered Drake London heavily because just his from his size standpoint, he matches up really. Um, just very similar to a draft bust that the Vikings had recently, which was Laquan Treadwell back from Old Miss. Uh, he's very similar size. He was like 6'3", 220. I think Drake London's like 6'4", 220, right about that. So I need you to convince me that's not what's going to happen if he gets drafted because Treadwell struggled to run routes. He struggled with drops. And I think he, he struggled with all-around focus and understanding of an offense. So give me the pitch for why he wouldn't bust out of the league. Like, I, cause I think it's, it's making fans apprehensive when they see Drake London mock. Cause they, they think too bad. They think back to a guy that of a similar size and they're worried about that. So Treadwell, now I didn't really focus in on Treadwell, but he seemed a little bit more raw coming out of college, whereas Drake London is a guy who has some versatility. You know, he played on the outside this year. It was the first year he actually played on the outside. So he's kind of that hybrid tight end that was split out in USC's air raid offense because they didn't have that true tight end that they wanted to do that with um, in, in the past years. So he was inside as an inside receiver and was matched up against safeties, matched up against linebackers, could beat those guys. He was in the slot. He's been all over the field, so he's not just a one-trick pony in that regard. Um, you know, he was matched up, and USC had a dynamic receiving core his freshman year with Michael Pittman on the outside and Amon Ross St. Brown also on the inside with him. Uh, and Tyler Vaughn's another guy that's on a practice squad in the NFL, so four NFL receivers, and he was the third or fourth option there. But you saw his 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 um, what how they used him changed as he, his career progressed. I think that shows you that he can succeed in any offense because he's already played inside. So if you need him, bump him inside and use him in different in, in bunch formations. He can do that, and he has the physicality to get off the line of scrimmage. You know, and people were worried about his uh, him being pressed the line of scrimmage. He he can take care of that as well. Um, so I, I don't think that that you're going to have the same potential there. And the athletic background with him. Just the 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 fact that he was a basketball player, he brings that to the 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 field as well. So I think that I think he has a you know that he has a pretty high ceiling, but he also has a high floor. Um, I don't think that he's necessarily a bust potential just because 
I don't see him as a similar to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside that really struggled with Philadelphia, where, hey, I made a ton of contested catches in college, but I can't make those in the NFL. Drake London can still go up and get it, and not just because he's a bigger guy. He has that athleticism to go up and jump over a guy at the same time. And like I said, he runs routes really well, and USC didn't use him as just, hey, we're going to throw the ball down the field. They did that when they got the single coverage on him, but otherwise he was running a ton of slant routes. He ran a ton of bubble screens and stuff as well. So he has he has the route tree there. He works super hard too. He's a, he's a, his work ethic is you know uh, is really high up there. And one of my favorite players. He's a great kid. He comes from a great family. Um, so I don't think that he's going to be a bust. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously I'm a little biased covering him for the last four or five years now from high school up. Uh, but I, I think that he's got a pretty high floor once again. Yeah, and I was just. I was going to ask, like, if it doesn't work, what would what would be the circumstance in which it doesn't work? Like, is do you from what you're saying, it sounds like, you know, very versatile, could probably work for the Vikings specifically. They already have two really good wide receivers and Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. That's an ideal spot for a wide receiver to land. But is there kind of a system he could go into that maybe wouldn't fit his skill set? Or is there, you know, things to avoid if you had him on the team or, or is he pretty malleable in that sense? I think the fact that, you know, as a freshman, he was the third or fourth option. He was an inside guy. And then as, a, as you know, a junior, he was the guy the ball is going to all the time. All the coverage is slanted his way, everything. I think he's been able to fit in different areas. Now, it was an air raid offense. It's a little bit different, obviously, when you get to a, a more of a pro-style offense. But I think he'll fit in just perfectly um, with, with wherever he goes. I think he's a kid that's constantly wants to learn and constantly tries to get better and improve his game. So I think wherever he goes, even if maybe he struggles a little bit early in his career, I think he'll, he'll figure it out. And the other thing is if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, if it doesn't work out, there is still the possibility that you could try to add some weight to him and turn him into, into a deluxe tight end, you know, a guy that you split out a little bit more um, because that was a lot of the, the conversation when he was a freshman because he was playing inside a lot of people they didn't know how it would work when he went outside and then this year he goes outside and he's he was the blit front runner when he got injured um and you know as long as he comes back and he looked pretty good in the pro day and everything so as long as the, the foot is healed up then i think that you you got a kid that's going to be uh you know a multi you know a, a many year vet in the pros as long as he stays healthy awesome well shotgun thank you so much for joining us we'll let you get back to the game us as Timberwolves fans we're very sympathetic to the underdogs want them to go far <laughs> see what happens Timberwolves are still in the playoffs hopefully the Hawks survive tonight if you want any USC coverage make sure to check out USC football for everything shotgun Spartling, and the whole team is doing over there there's tons of USC draft prospects actually this year there's an edge rushers guys that the Vikings could take so plenty of draft coverage I'm sure coming from you guys again that is shotgun SPR on Twitter shotgun thank you so much for taking time no problem. And, uh, you know, congratulations on the Timberwolves win <laughs> with a USC guy, Jordan McLaughlin, another, another really good guy as well that had 16 points off the bench last night. All right. Thanks, Shotgun. All right. And now we are back. We're talking Jamison Williams now, wide receiver from Alabama. And to do so, I have Nick Kelly. Nick is a Alabama athletics reporter for the Tuscaloosa News. Uh, you may recognize the name. He is a Minnesota, born and raised in Minnesota here. Uh, he was an intern at the Athletic, uh, Minnesota. He was intern at Star Tribune, freelance for Star Tribune, freelance for everyone pretty much. So you may recognize the name. He has now migrated down south to the very warm Alabama, covering Alabama athletics. Nick, how are we doing this morning? I'm doing well. Like you said, I 
no offense to my home state, but I, I keep getting smarter because I went to school in Missouri, so yes. a little further south. And then I my first job was down here. So uh, I like to keep migrating further and further south so that I can uh, get some nice warm weather. It's, he got up to 90 yesterday, so we're we're enjoying it. I look forward to talking to you about the Miami Dolphins when you inevitably move just a little <laughs> bit further. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Jameson Williams is a wide receiver that really fascinates me because I think early on in the pre-draft process, he was probably a little bit more of a later first round guy just because of the injury, the ACL injury kind of pushed him back. But it feels like despite him doing no like athletic testing over the pre-draft process, he is one of the fastest risers of any of the wide receivers, which is just much different from what we would get from a typical pre-draft riser where they have a great combine, great senior bowl, something like that. And they just start skyrocketing. So help me understand why he is jumping up boards right now, despite having not seen him in a game for quite some time. Yeah, I think part of it is seeing the progress he's made. There's a video put out yesterday, I believe, uh, from his agent showing all these workouts he was doing. Obviously, not him playing football, not him maybe doing some serious running, but, I mean, he was doing some good footwork drills. He was doing some, I mean, some high knees. I mean, I, I don't remember the exact drills, but, I mean, just basically he looked he looked pretty good. He's about uh, today, I think it was 15 months ago, uh, that he tore his ACL in the national championship game. And so he's making good progress. And that's the thing. All it takes is a team saying, hey, we don't have to have this guy available first game. But if he's going to be available at even at some point in the first year, we can maybe take that risk like a team like the Jets. They have two first-round picks. They're obviously in a rebuilding mode. They can take a guy where, yeah, this is not like the year for them necessarily. And so they can take a guy who, hey, he's going to be healthy next year, and we're going to have – superstar receiver. I mean, that's what he really became in college football this year when Alabama added him via the transfer portal. I mean, he went from a guy who I think he had like not even 13, 14 receptions at, in at Ohio state, which crowded receiver room, no doubt. And then he goes to Alabama. He has 79 catches, like 1500 yards. I mean, just an insane year. And so, yeah, you saw what we could do on tape. And so teams that can take that time and say, Hey, this guy's, incredible because if he wasn't hurt almost a lock for the top 10 uh, maybe even top five and, and now he still could go there but I think at this point uh, yeah teams who can take that risk are more willing to take him early on so that, that's maybe why we see him moving up boards yeah and I think that's why Vikings fans who want a wide receiver which is a growing contingent now want to just add another wide receiver to that Kevin O'Connell offense add another threat I think that's partially why they've invested themselves in James Jameson Williams just because this offense isn't one that needs the wide receiver to come in right away. He would also be a guy that you can let heal fully. And then maybe you get kind of that best guy in the draft, but just from a on the field type of player, what is, what is he, what is, what like is a Vikings fan getting if they haven't watched much Jamison Williams? Cause each of the top wide receivers kind of has their own little lane. Uh, Jamison Williams has his. So kind of describe for anyone that hasn't watched him, what kind of receiver he is. Well, his lane is the fast lane. If he <laughs> has one, because this guy is ridiculously fast. I mean, he's one of those people where he would catch a pass over the middle and defenders would have good angles of pursuit. But then within just a few feet, they looked like they were in a good spot. Next thing you know, he's run right by him. I mean, there were so many plays where he just caught one pass, took it to the house. And next thing you know, the game's flipped. The SEC championship game, the uh, Georgia Bulldogs were up 10-0 heading in the second quarter, or I think early in the second quarter. And 
Jamison caught a pass over the middle, kind of like I just described, ran by guys. I think it was like a 67-yard touchdown. Just ran right by these Georgia defenders, who are good defenders. I mean, the team ended up winning the national championship, had a great defense, and he just made him look like they're, he was playing against like JV guys. And so he just has that, that next-level speed that you just can't account for. Because even when you defend it well, you have guys in position. I mean, it's that scary speed where where you don't you can't counter it for, as a defensive coordinator necessarily. You can do things to put yourself in a good position against that speed. But there are times where if you just have one or two guys against that in the open field, Jameson's going to win. And so he's that home run threat who can who can really stretch a defense and can really allow other guys to work underneath. Why didn't it work for him at Ohio State? What have you been able to gather from talking to him specifically and just others around him? Because obviously you see what he does at Alabama, so it shouldn't be that much of a red flag, but it is still something that he, you know, he had to transfer away because he wasn't getting much time on the field at all. So what have you kind of gathered about that? And should that be any kind of concern for a team looking to draft him? Yeah, I don't know if I have a, a special insight in terms of something that went wrong, but I think it's as simple as you, you look at some of the guys that they had in that room. I mean, I, I'm blanking on their names right now, but uh, there's, what, two of them? Out Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, yeah. Right. And so, I mean, you have two great receivers there, so it's 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 crowded. Um, and I think at that point he was a freshman sophomore because he, he was a junior this past year. So he was, he was an underclassman. Now he's an upperclassman, but also it comes down to usage, how team wants to use you. And <laughs> let's be honest, he also had the Heisman winner at quarterback. Yeah. Now, granted, C.J. Stroud was uh, at Ohio State, too. But, um, yeah, I think that it, it's there's not necessarily a, a big red flag. I think it's just opportunity. And and he got that. He was needed at Alabama. Alabama needed him. I mean, it was just it – was, it was a perfect marriage. And the way Bill O'Brien wanted to use him, their offensive coordinator, Bryce Young, you know, find that. You have Evan Neal giving Bryce Young time at left tackle – I mean, it just it worked out perfectly for for Jameson and and yeah, I think there's some of that development too. Again, he was a junior, he was a sophomore and freshman in the years before that at Ohio State, and so you develop, you become more mature, smarter. I mean, just all kinds of different things happen when you when you have three years of college football behind you, and it was just the perfect combination for Jameson to break out. And that's the thing. I mean, even if there were concerns back then, clearly showed last year there shouldn't be concerns. And and he's a guy who, if healthy again, he's he's going to be that home run threat. Yeah. And just like in the NFL, college is all about if you have the opportunity and, you know, scheme and everything to kind of match up, you need a good fit in college. And he obviously found that in Alabama. So I want to know from you, uh, if he hits, if this is a home run draft pick for whoever takes Jameson Williams, what happened for that to happen? And then on the flip side, if we look back and say three years from now, you know, he he didn't pan out how we'd want. What happened in both those scenarios kind of forecast what it would look like? Yeah, well, I think for him to pan out it it's as simple as he gets healthy and he does what he did last year at Alabama in the NFL. And, and I think from what I've gleaned, some teams see that kind of Tyreek Hill, just scariness. Again, it's that scary speed that as a defensive coordinator, you can only do so much against. And so, yeah, he's that kind of guy, you know, it, um, you know, in this scenario, he becomes that kind of guy in the NFL. And I think he can, he's got that, he's got that speed. You can't teach that speed. He's from a, he's from a track family full of track athletes. I mean, he just has that, that gear that you can't teach. Now, if it's not going well, maybe the injury lingers. Maybe uh, he's a guy who just, uh, you know, teams figure out. Maybe he's not as fast as he was before. But I, I just – I don't see a scenario where if he doesn't regain that speed that he's not what he was before. I mean, just if he has that speed, he was in the SEC. I mean, he's playing against the best of the best. And – he still just made them look like they're another 
sub level of football compared to him. And obviously the NFL is difficult. I mean, that's even better. It's next level. And, but I think that speed still translates as long as his hands are good. I mean, he's going to have a pretty nice NFL career. All right, Nick. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see where Jameson Williams goes. I think his betting market over under right now is right around 11 and a half, which is just right before the Vikings pick. So it will be interesting to see if he lasts there. It seems like the building momentum is he will not, but if he makes it there, he's going to be a very, very, intriguing prospect for the Vikings. You can find Nick Kelly at on Twitter at underscore Nick Kelly. Nick, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. Good to be with you. We are continuing our series talking to beat reporters of all the top five wide receiver prospects in the NFL draft as the Vikings could end up going wide receiver here. So now to talk Traylon Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas, we have Christina Long. She is the beat reporter for the Arkansas Razorbacks for the USA Today Network and the Southwest Times record. You also, it also may be a name familiar to you. She was a intern at the Star Tribune. We crossed paths a few times there. So if the name rings a bell to any Minnesotans, that is probably why. Christina, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Excited to be back talking a little bit of uh, Minnesota stuff. Yes, excited to have you back. Uh, People know me on this show as Intern Paul because I've interned at many different places. And so, of course, uh, for this episode I'm doing, I had to bring on some other interns. Got to, got to, you know, rep the game there a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's got to start somewhere. <laughs> of course. Of course. Awesome. So I want to talk Traylon Burks because he is a really, really interesting name in all of this. I think his kind of prospects have fluctuated a ton throughout the draft season. I think... He was maybe kind of, you know, one of the mid to late first round guys, one of the, you know, third, fourth, fifth wide receiver off the board. And then gearing up towards the combine, it felt like there was some momentum growing for him. And then it kind of cooled off after that, maybe because of a slow 40. I'd love to get all your take on that. But first, for people who haven't watched a lot of him, uh, what is kind of his style of what kind of style wide receiver is he? What kind of production did he have at Arkansas? Like, Give me the breakdown of who Traylon Burks is from a from a on the football field. Yeah, he was absolutely massive in terms of production for Arkansas. He had more than a third of their receiving yards and I think about half of their receiving touchdowns last season. Um, and that was especially impressive because they did rely really heavily on their running game, but then he was kind of a, just dominant on the outside for quarterback KJ Jefferson. Um, the interesting thing about him is just his size. I mean, he is just a massive guy. Um, and he does have good speed, but what makes him most dangerous is just his size and his frame. Um, and so he can just power through people. Um, he is really stand out, stands out in terms of yards after the catch. Um, he is sort of, he functions a little bit like a running back um, when he gets in space, uh, kind of just kind of doing that uh, pinball sort of bouncing off people um, the way that running backs can do. So it's definitely his his size and his physicality um, and his strength. He's one of, I think he's the heaviest of all the wide receivers that are appearing on most draft boards. Um, so he can really hold his own against some really physical defenders. Yeah, he was he was part of uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, he's 6'2", 225, I think. Uh, just reading here, he bench presses 380 pounds, squats 500 pounds, like just uh, absolute like specimen in terms of what you're getting from an athlete. Uh, and I think we've heard this name kind of thrown around with him in comparisons, which is Debo Samuel. I think everyone after what has happened 
with the 49ers or looking for that next Debo Samuel. And that's, as we've seen in draft history, when you try to replicate finding a really, really special guy, sometimes that can be a mistake as you're trying to chase that type of guy. But from your perspective, do you see similarities in who they are as players and just kind of what his comparisons are in the NFL? Yeah, I think definitely that's the one that's come up. And I think rightfully so. I think because of that frame and kind of his ability to have that physicality, that's what really um, sets him apart. Got it. Um, And yeah, I want to just kind of take me through his pre-draft process because it feels like his stock has really ebbed and flowed as we've gone from your perspective, you know, paying attention to it every day. What does his pre-draft process look like? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were really concerned about his combine because his 40 time was maybe not what people thought it was going to be. Um, But at the same time, when you think about it, I mean, he's a huge guy um, and he is fast. uh, And that really comes into view in game um, because of, like I said, his ability to kind of just bulldoze people in space. So I think people were really wigging out about the 40 time. um, But I I don't think it's that big of a cause for concern. Um, He participated in Arkansas's pro day. And if I remember right, he did run the 40. And I think it was maybe slightly better, but still not as what people had hoped um, for a receiver, especially one as highly touted as him. But I really don't know that it's that much of a cause for concern because of his other skills um, and because it makes sense for a guy of his size. Yeah. And his 40 time at the combine, I think was four, five, five. Uh, but when you're 225 pounds, it's a little different. I think they were hoping, you know, it's closer down into the four fours. Then you're kind of getting into that DK Metcalf range, just another absolute freak in terms of what he can do. So he doesn't have that exact size, but from your perspective, like best worst case scenarios for him, um, or maybe even just like 80th percentile, 20th percentile scenarios for him in the NFL. What do you, what do you think it could be? Because he is that type of guy that can get allures people in with his size and physicality. And sometimes that's really, really worked out with those DK Metcalfs, AJ Browns, those guys. But then there's also times when you take one of those guys and he's maybe not as refined in some of the other areas and he can struggle because he's a crazy athlete in college. And then he gets to the pros where there's tons and tons of crazy athletes and it doesn't stand out as much. So I'm wondering from your perspective, where you kind of see him and best and and worst case scenarios for him uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, the other good thing about him is that he's a really strong run blocker. Um, He had to do that a lot for Arkansas because of their emphasis in the run game. So I think as far as him sort of making a splash and having a star turn in the NFL, he needs a system that's really going to allow him to thrive in terms of actually, you know, scoring. But I think he can also fit in and make an impact um, as a run blocker and just kind of being that physical body. So I think for him – I think a lot of people have talked about, I know the saints have been a pretty high projection for him as well. Um, People like the idea of that. Um, But I think if he can get into a system that allows him to, that doesn't try to force him to use speed that isn't right for his size. I think that he can, he can be fine. Yeah. And you'd like to think in an offense that's coming from the Ram system where they're very, uh, they're, they're very good at optimizing what different receivers can do, that that would maybe be a good spot for him in terms of what we've heard Kevin O'Connell say. It doesn't sound like he just wants to, you know, just fit a a square peg into a round hole. And you'd think coming from that Rams offense where they use a lot of their wide receivers in different ways and try to optimize them, that they'd get that similar thing from Traylon, because I think that maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe that is kind of one of the scenarios where it doesn't go well is the team maybe doesn't fit him like doesn't try to work around his exact abilities. He kind of feels like a guy that the coaches need to commit to 
you know, creating offense around and really kind of fitting the scheme to make his talents and like his best traits stick out. Is that kind of a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Especially because like we said, you know, if they try to force him into a really, you know, if, if they're trying to force him to just like burn DBs, that's just not really what he's going to do. He's going to bulldoze them, but he can't just, he's not just going to sprint and get away. He's going to kind of do some, um, some bulldozing. So I think that if they can, find a way to use him that uses that size and rather than force him to be a more traditional wide receiver, I think that that's really what's going to thrive. I think you're right that they would need to commit to not forcing him into a traditional kind of role. And we've, I've talked about this with the previous uh, people we've had on for this episode, but Vikings fans have fallen in, fallen in love with Justin Jefferson and kind of his personality, both on the field and off the field. Um, Traylon has a very interesting personality from what I've read. I would love to get your thoughts on who he is as a person. Uh, he seems like just a really funny dude, kind of a, but quirky at the same time. So I'd love for you to describe him. Yeah. I mean, he's a really, really good kid. He's always been a good talker. He's actually more soft-spoken than I think you would expect. Um, not in that he doesn't have a lot to say, but just that he is literally just a little bit quiet, um, which is interesting, but everybody's kind of gravitated toward this boar hunting story. Um, and it's really funny because it's actually like, that's like a thing here. Like, I mean, it's not like everybody's going out and hunting boars with their mom on the weekends. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like that, but like my dad has done it. Like people, I mean, it's a thing that people do. Um, but so everyone's kind of gravitated toward this, this boar hunting story. And it's really funny because he's just like such an Arkansas kid. Um, and for those who for those who don't know the boar hunting story, can you relay it a little bit to us? Yeah, yeah. So he he made a big splash. I want to say it was at the combine. People were asking him about, you know, what he does for fun and things like that. And he he's kind of a country boy. Um, and he was talking about he's from Warren, Arkansas, which is in southern Arkansas. And he um, was talking about how he has gone boar hunt, like hunting wild boar. And he talked to and people were like, what does that like? I didn't know you could do that. You know, all these NFL writers were like baffled by this. Um, And it's basically, you can go out and hunt boar. You have to have, you have dogs. So these dogs go and they track down this boar. And then you have like a kill dog that goes and like basically pins down this wild boar. And then you, you have to stab it. You have to like, it's not like shoot. It's not like deer hunting. Mm -hmm. You use knives. Um, and he, I think he had a great quote about like how like you could use a gun, but it's like not as fun. And like, you know, so yes. he, it's this really interesting wild story about him kind of going out and hunting these wild animals. Um, and everybody was very baffled by this. Um, and it was really funny. But I mean, and Coach Pittman has, Sam Pittman, Arkansas's head coach, has been asked about it. And he described him. He's like, he's a really, I mean, he's a country boy. Um, and I think it kind of surprises some people. Got it. Um, just in terms of confidence that you have in him working out in the NFL, like on a scale of one to 10, where do you, like, if 10 is that best case scenario and one is, you know, probably doesn't get used right, just probably struggles to uh, catch fire. Like on that scale, where is your confidence that he just, you know, his average outcome, where would you think it would be? I think I'm going to give him a seven um, just because I think it'll really depend on, as we discussed how a team decides to use him. And if they decide to, like we said, force him into a role that he doesn't really fit into, or if they're willing to kind of adapt their system or find a place for him and really work around him. Um, So I think it'll really depend on a team's willingness to do that. But I think if he's put in a position to succeed, he definitely can. I mean, he is such a unique receiver as far as his build, his skill set. 
Um, and I think that he could really add a new dynamic to a team that's willing to adapt to him for sure. Awesome. And then finally, before I let you go, any other small, like small Arkansas players who could go later in the rounds that Vikings fans should just keep an eye on if they see a name pop up or um, just people to people to keep on the radar that that could go later in the rounds for Arkansas? Yeah, the one guy that I'm kind of keeping an eye on is uh, cornerback Monteric Brown. Um, he could go later. He, um, I think he led the SEC in interceptions. Um, he had a really strong year uh, for Arkansas. So I think he's somebody that has come up on some later round draft boards for teams that need a corner. Um, they had several guys participate in the combine. None of them had amazing showings, um, and I'm expecting a lot of them to sign as undrafted free agents. Fantastic. Well, Christina, thank you for joining me again. Christina Long is the Arkansas beat reporter for the Southwest Times record. Uh, Twitter handle is Christina Long double zero. Is that what it is? Yep. There's so many Christina Longs. I never have to worry <laughs> about it, uh, but I'm sure hard to get the the just bit regular Christina Long Twitter handle. So you can find her at Christina Long zero zero. Thank you so much, Christina. Thanks, Paul.